This week's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by StarCast on Fight. Don't miss it if you haven't already. This is your last chance to enter the ultimate StarCast experience. Did you want to be all in on Chicago this Labor Day weekend, but just couldn't quite swing it? This is the second chance you've been looking for. When you pre-order StarCast on Fight before August 27th, that's this Monday, you're automatically entered into your chance to win round trip airfare to Chicago. And as if that wasn't enough, you get three nights hotel stay in a suite. You also get an exclusive eat and greet every single day, every official meet and greet, platinum bracelets to Starcast, VIP access to the after party, and unbelievably front row tickets to all in make it happen right now. Pick up Starcast on fight. It's only 99 bucks and you get a $20 fight credit. That's like getting this whole show for 79 bucks. You're talking four days of content, more than 40 hours, more than 20 live stage shows, including the Monday night wars debate on one side, Eric Bischoff on the other side, Bruce Pritchard, and I will be your moderator. But then the next day on Friday, it's the main event. It's the roast of Bruce Pritchard. It's a murderer's row of stand-up comedians and hall of famers and legends alike. And they're all making fun of our boy, Bruce. Don't miss it. And we just announced last night, good old JR is going to be joining us on Sunday. Don't miss Jim Ross and the rest of the gang. See the full lineup right now at fight.tv forward slash starcast. Now, don't forget the contest ends this Monday. We're going to draw for it live right on Twitch and on social media. Don't miss it. Fight.tv forward slash starcast fight is F I T E. And of course there's two R's in starcast, but hurry. This ends Monday, August 27th, fight.tv forward slash starcast. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. I love you. Double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Double onion, mother pie. You're nothing but an egg sucking dog. There's a Google machine. Goddamn, kid. Goddamn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? You know, just doing that for shizzle dizzle whizzle in the thing in the in the front of Snavich, you know, brother Conrad. What are you doing? I don't know. I just, you know, I figured we'd, we'd start off a little bit different. We'll start off down here, and then we'll get up there when we need to get to where we got to go. Let me tell you, we were there last week. What a show we had. New York City, thank you for another incredible experience. You guys helped us sell out the Gramercy once again, and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't thank everybody who's anybody who showed up, including Joel Gertner, who stopped by and opened things up for us, and I accidentally jacked gold, uh, easy for me to say, he jacked, jacked gold. I jacked Joel around on, uh, on Monday. I was going to try to get together with him and then Starcast ruined my life again. So we didn't get a chance to hook up, but 
we did get a chance to hook up with James Mattern, who is uh, an incredibly funny comedian who we have now confirmed is going to be the roast master for your roast at StarCast, which is fun. And we had um, w- former WWE writer uh, Jen Bloodsworth who stopped by, which was cool. The guy who helped steal the show last time in New York was there, Mr. Brian Gerwitz. Sexual chocolate. Good Mark- words. No, I, you, you want me to say his name wrong. You told me off air to say his name like Hayes no, says I, it gee works Michael, right? Michael Hayes and I are the only ones I, I, I'll call him wait Gerwitz so you're, you're not even sure how to say it right now I'm not really sure it's Brian yeah and Brian works for me and uh, sexual chocolate Mark Henry worked for the crowd man he stole the show and uh, then JBL came out and I don't know how anybody will ever top that JBL in New York City getting all the crazy chants going and the phenomenal stories. And then as if that wasn't enough, we had as a super surprise, the queen herself, the most decorated women's wrestler in WWE history, Charlotte Flair stopped by, uh, and then to help sort of sing us off stage, Mr. Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, shout out to those guys. Rumor and innuendo is you might be able to listen to a podcast with them sometime soon. How about that? Well, hell, that might not be a bad idea if you ask me. I'm just saying that they would do pretty good. They're big fans of our show, so of course, you know, they, they've got to be good. So, but no, it was a great, it was a great week in uh, New York City. I actually got to go see Dan Soder on stage at the Underground earlier in the week, and uh, Sam Roberts and our friend Pete Rosenberg. So, it was a it was a hell of a good week in New York City. It was That's awesome. Good food too. Awesome time. Really appreciate all the hospitality that we got from everybody. And of course, it feels like we were just together. We're getting together in a couple of days, man. We're both going to be back in Chicago. We've got the Monday Night Wars debate with Eric Bischoff. You guys are going to square off on Thursday night. And uh, they convinced me at Fight this week that I needed to be the moderator. So we've just sort of left that open because I was assuming we could slot somebody in there. But now that you know, it's going to be me, you, and Eric up there. How are you feeling about that? Well, you know, I, I was originally just thinking, okay, we'll have a nice friendly Monday night war debate. And then listening to Eric get all fired up and, and looking at some of the research that Eric Bischoff has chosen to use for his research as if him being there isn't enough. I guess when you reach a certain age, you can't recall things. I know that for me, but, uh, you know, Eric is, is pushing, pushing a little hard on this. So the bottom line is history is written by the winners. So just like WWE won the Monday night wars, I will win the Monday night wars debate because Eric just simply will not be able to dispute cold, hard facts. That's what's going down on Thursday. Of course, on Friday, right after the all in weigh-ins where all of wrestling will be paying attention. We've got what, in my opinion, is maybe the main event of Friday, the roast of Bruce Pritchard. And man, this is a, a murderer's row of stand-up comedy. We don't just have professional wrestlers, which of course we have. Eric Bischoff will be there. Sean Waltman will be there. Jeff Jarrett will be there. Medusa will be there and some more. We can't announce yet, but we've got Shuli Agar from the Howard Stern show, James Madden, who we just mentioned was with us in New York this past weekend, Mike Lawrence, who won the roast battle, Taylor Williamson, who made it all the way to the finals of America's got talent, Ron Funches, who's got an incredible special coming up on comedy central, 
we've got some really funny folks here and all eyes are on you bruce everybody can't wait to make fun of you your thoughts well okay first of all i just want to know why the hell everybody wants to make fun of me i'm a nice guy seriously just ask me but um little trepidatious about this here roast conrad i I don't know why anyone would want to like do and say mean things about me but uh i figure taylor williamson i think i could maybe take him or at least we could get into a hell of a pinch fight i'm counting on that anyway the rest of them i'm not too sure i could uh i could whoop but hey it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm looking for i'm looking forward to seeing everybody and um I might have something up my sleeve. You never know. I'm looking forward to it. Join us, won't you? Go to fight.tv forward slash starcast. That's F I T E dot TV forward slash starcast. There's two R's in starcast. And then, of course, we're taking the show on the road in September. We'll be in San Antonio on September 15th. We'd like to invite you to Nashville on the 30th, but it's sold out. But you can still get your tickets in Boston on October 21st. Just call up Kowloon's and hook it up. LA, we haven't forgotten about you. We're going to be there on November 17th. We're in Winston-Salem on November 24th. And that's our very first venture off into North Kakalaki. So join us, won't you? BrucePritchard.com. Make it happen. Uh, These shows are selling out faster than we imagined. So we appreciate all the support. It means a lot that you'll come see us when we're in your town. And it probably means a lot if you're interested in getting, uh, I don't know, getting your man on. How's that? All of a sudden, well, I, I just got to ask you one question, Conrad, just when did it become okay to become lazier, softer and fatter? That's, that's what I want to know. That's what I get asked all the time. And I think together we need to bring the men of this country back to greatness and it's easier than ever with ageless male max. I think you it's, should do it right now. Take your manhood to the max, go ahead and get your first 30 day bottle free just pay your shipping and handling it's not 10 days worth it's not 15 days worth it's a full 30-day supply for free just text the word slam to 79 79 79 it's going to boost your total testosterone go ahead hook it up get that free bottle text slam s-l-a-m to 797979 and bruce let's get to it man let's talk about why we're really here it's all about the first episode of smackdown got lots of questions this week Which one is it? Is it the pilot episode or the first one? It's both. And we're on the heels of WrestleMania 15, a huge success does over 800,000 buys business is on fire here in 1999. How would you compare sort of 97, 98, 99? It feels like a, every year is a, can you top this progression with the company at that point? It was. And just when we thought that stone cold, Steve Austin and, and the company as a whole, couldn't get any bigger it continued to do so and we hadn't even gone public at this point so it was just that we were on a wave and it was it was a friggin' tidal wave that we were riding and there was (laughs) there was no end in sight at this point well i'm pretty excited about this because um this year we haven't really talked a lot about um and i think uh, sort of lost in the story and we're going to talk about it. I'm sure is that the creation of SmackDown is one of the things that really led to the end of Vince Russo in the WWE chat me up about when you started first hearing discussions about a second primetime show, does UPN bring it to you guys? Are you guys just looking for opportunities and just reach out and have a meeting? How does that come together from your recollection? 
you know, it was a big conglomeration of a lot of different things coming together at the, at the same time. It was a perfect storm in a lot of ways because part of the UPN deal also had to do with the XFL. The XFL was going to be debuting the next year and Vince was, you know, getting out beyond that NBC Universal bubble and and looking for different broadcast partners. The other thing about it was, was UPN was a broadcast network. It wasn't cable cast. They were, I don't want to say they were in dire straits at the time, but they were number five out of five of the networks. So it wasn't like we were, we were going on to the strongest network. They were looking for something to bring them up. UPN, Viacom had seen what we had done for the USA network, and they felt that by bringing it onto broadcast and putting it in a primetime slot that it could be their signature show and, and the one show that they could point to that, hey, here's our number one show. Here's the show that's putting us back on the map. So it had been it had been in the works for a while and it had been in the works to the different different programming that we could provide to UPN. And Vince thought, well, goddamn, put them on prime time. Let's go. Um, it was a great opportunity. So he jumped at it. So UPN reaches out and makes the pitch. We had been re- now we were reaching out looking for obviously partners for the uh, XFL and just all of our you know Vince looks at all of the programming. So this opportunity came up. What about wrestling? What about doing something else? And Vince always wanted that broadcast spot, primetime broadcast spot. When that was available with UPN, he jumped at it. So you guys did do a pilot and that's what we got a lot of questions about. Uh, Meltzer would even write, there's no lineup advertised for the UPN special on April 29th, which is going to be patterned and paced like a two hour raw episode. UPN hasn't agreed to do a weekly series, but it is pretty much a good bet that they will. The WWF is no longer planning. If that's the case on doing an all women show as they just don't have the depth to fill one hour with women's angles and matches, and they haven't found enough new sets to fill the time with. The idea now is that the UPN show will be like the heat show and just be part of the weekly storylines. UPN doesn't want a live show so they can edit out anything gratuitous. So the best bet is to do a one hour show on Wednesday nights, although it still could be on Tuesday or Thursday. So there's a lot to digest here in the observer report. First, I want to start with the pilot special. Was that a way to just sort of test the waters for lack of a better word and just see what the reception would be like and demonstrate what the viewership might be like to UPN. Yeah, it was to be able to go, yeah, test the waters and say like the main event that was in primetime on NBC, put it in primetime, see what those numbers deliver. If you like it, we can do this for you on a weekly basis. Um, we, we did discuss, however, very briefly of doing an all-female show, doing a diva show. I don't even know if we call them divas at the time, but doing an all-female show. But we didn't have enough females to really do that. And Vince also felt that if we had a network and we had that broadcast availability, that would eventually become the A show. So the the thoughts of it being a secondary show, it was to the contrary. There were thoughts of this possibly being the A show because it was broadcast and able to reach so many more people. So once you guys, you know, do the pilot show, was there ever, maybe even before that, 
because I'd heard this outside of the observer. Was it ever kicked around that, Hey, we should do a women's show because that does feel like a demographic that for whatever reason, wrestling had missed for a long time. And if you could all of a sudden have a big female audience that opens up more advertising opportunities for you, which obviously means more revenue for the company. Chat me up. Was it ever even discussed as far as, you know, to do an all women show? Yeah, we definitely discussed it and we looked at it. We just didn't have the talent depth to do an entire one hour and do it consistently week after week. We really didn't have enough talent to do that. And in addition to that, I think if you were going to do that, maybe not do it um, on the broadcast show because Vince was looking at that. The more eyeballs, maybe if this broadcast show takes off, maybe change the Raw show back to an all-female show. But we, yeah, we definitely have discussed that many times throughout the years. Let me ask you this. Um, Is the idea to do an hour based on, you know, the lack of confidence to fill two hours? Is that just what UPN's trying to put the bid in for? Chat me up about, because it is mentioned here that it might've been an hour. Ultimately it winds up being two hours. How did those discussions go to go from one hour or two or whatever? Well, again, getting on, getting on a network, man, those time slots are coveted for UPN. A lot of their programming, it was only one hour and 30 minute programming. There weren't any two hour television shows that occupied a, a two hour time slot on UPN. I can't think of any in any really real broadcast that has two hours. Uh, America's Got Talent does now. You know, there's a few, but those are proven commodities. Two hours is a lot. So the one hour time slot when you're initially talking, okay, hey, perform well in this one hour, and then maybe we can expand it to two hours going forward. But it, to get in the door, the initial talks was, yeah, provide them with an hour program. So once you sort of have the green light on an hour program, tell me about the psychology behind days, because we know that SmackDown over the years has certainly moved around. Of course, Monday has been a staple for raw, but we've seen SmackDown on Tuesdays. We've seen it on Fridays. We've seen it on Thursdays. It's been all over the map, but Dave was sort of freestyling that he expected it to be a Wednesday show. What do you remember about the days and ultimately why it wound up being a Thursday show? Best of my recollection and, and going back and forth because they were just constant, uh, I don't want to say bickering, but a lot of discussion as to what day it should be. Should it be Tuesday immediately following Monday night raw? And nobody wanted Friday. Friday night is, can be the, the death slot in a lot of respects from the old way of thinking. You also have to remember at this time, you didn't have, everybody didn't have a DVR. They didn't, they didn't have plus threes and plus sevens at this point in time where people record it and then watch it at a later date. So you're looking at people watching it live and being able to absorb it. So <sighs> Thursday was the ideal date, uh, really for us because it's close to the weekend you get people engaged. It gives you separation from Monday Night Raw. Now I'm hungry for my WWE again. You get it on Thursday. And if you're 
in one of the areas where we have live events Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's not going to interfere or be competition with them. Hopefully it will drive you to that event. Thursday was the ideal slot that we were looking for. And thank God, you know, at the time, initially UPN agreed. So talk to me a little bit about when you said a minute ago, because you used a, an industry phrase that a lot of people won't know plus threes and plus sevens. Plus three and plus seven is, is a rating that I guess Nielsen uses now where they count what people view. If you record something on your DVR and you watch it within three days of its first airing, that is counted in a rating of the plus threes. If you watch within seven days and that's counted, that's called the plus seven. If you don't watch it within the first seven days, allegedly it doesn't, it doesn't go into the rating. So it's got to be actually recorded and then watched. Um, I'll never truly understand how these ratings work. Um, we, we only have a handful of people deciding what millions and millions of people watch. But that's what the plus three and plus seven is. That didn't exist in 1999. Just wasn't a thing at all. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the way it's sort of mentioned here that you guys wanted a taped show. Uh, to make sure that any sort of gratuitous content could be clipped out. What do you remember about the discussion about, should it be taped? Should it be live? Obviously live presents a new set of costs, but was there a concern about the content from the UPN side to the best of your recollection? No, the concern was UPN being able to take a live show. Not all of their affiliates were even able to take down a live feed from the network. So we needed to deliver to them a tape show in advance so that they could then deliver it to their affiliates. It was, it was antiquated even in 1999, some of their affiliates were not able to take a live broadcast. So that sounds crazy, but that was the reality of it. So plus the, the cost of everything, um, in, in, in initial talks, when you're only talking about doing an hour is maybe something we could do right after raw. Bam, do SmackDown. Later on, it became another day. But it was just uh, television-wise, you tape on or you go live on Monday, Tuesday, you tape SmackDown. Just made sense. Let's talk about UPN for a minute. I know a lot of people are listening to this overseas, and they may not know what UPN was. Sort of explain to our audience, you know, that Walmart, I mean... UPN was the Walmart channel. UPN was the Dollar Tree channel. Uh, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was as good as Walmart, uh, but you had, you know, you had NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. Those are your big four. And then you had UPN and CW were the number five and number six broadcast. And I keep saying broadcast because what broadcast means is that anybody can pick it up via antenna. You didn't have to subscribe to a cable service or a satellite service. If you had an antenna in a television, then you could pick up broadcast television. So uh, UPN was number five out of those six, and CW was, was probably number six. But it was back and forth, and then I think eventually UPN absorbs CW or CW bought UPN. I forget how the hell it worked, but, um, they became one. So it, it was just another network, just another network. 
but it was at the bottom of the rung. Any examples that you could tell us about how it was at the bottom of the rung? Well, I'm, again, I besides being live, at, I mean, you mentioned that one, but you know, I think, well, go ahead. They didn't do Well, first of all, they didn't do, um, which I, I don't know. Yeah. I guess most, most of the networks do a lot of original programming. UPN was buying a lot of syndicated programming. They had very few, if any original. And I guess as time went on, they got into original programming and, and got into that, but it was, man, it, it was a CBS owned them or Viacom owned them. And it was just the, the bottom. It was the catch all. So if there was something that they wanted to try out and maybe it's not ready for prime time on CBS, Hey, let's put it on UPN and see if it gets any numbers. And if it's something we can develop. So it would be the, uh, boy, who can I piss off here? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it, it would be the MLW of the wrestling business. It's a place where, you know, it, it's, it's something that people watch and they, and if there's something there they want to see, they're going to go to it and they're going to watch it, but it's not one of the major networks, but it is broadcast. So it did provided an opportunity for a lot of eyeballs. I don't know what to say here. Um, were, were you guys in talks with any other television stations or did you just know, let's go straight to the dime store? Oh no, God. I mean, again, we were, we were talking to Viacom. We were talking to CBS and through CBS and through Viacom is, is where we came up with UPN. And it was, we were, you know, we were the prettiest girl at that dance. So here here we are at UPN. They really wanted us because they knew what we could do for their station. And we did, we were the number one show on their station. We brought eyeballs to UPN and we were able to help them with lead ins and what have you. If you wanted a new show on UPN, you advertised on SmackDown. That's just the way it was. All right. Let's talk about what's going on in the company at this time. Um, Meltzer would write the cleavage mailbox is apparently going to lead one of the headbangers. I think Thrasher, uh, being given a new gimmick as beaver cleavage with a sexy mom named June. I just hope they don't try an inbred angle out of that one. And there's talk of the other headbanger doing a clown gimmick with a new look, Bruce Pritchard as his manager. So we get asked this question all the time. Let's talk about it here. Why did you guys make the decision to break up the headbangers? Who fucking booked Beaver Cleavage? I think we can guess. Where did you find June? And then we'll talk about the rest. Well, the headbangers were on the shelf because one of them was injured, and that was Glenn Ruth who was injured. That's so, Thrasher. Okay. Yeah. Thrasher was Thrasher Mosh. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, Thrasher was Glenn Ruth. And he was injured, had a knee injury. He was on the shelf. Mosh was not. Mosh was sitting there, a hell of a talent. And we kind of looked at them thinking we've gone about as far as we can go with the headbangers. Maybe we can do something with them individually. Um, Chaz Warrington made the mistake of showing me his driver's license one time and, and made the comment that people always said he looks like Beaver Cleaver, Oh no! which, which I just started and call calling him the B from that point forward. And then everybody called him the Beaver. 
Um, so in a Russo, weird way, this is your fucking fault. Yeah, basically. Wow. But I never knew they would do this. No, this was this was a, a Russo brainchild. Yes, it is my fault for 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 calling him <laughs> Leave It to Beaver and and calling him the Beave. Um, yes, I might have said that. Hey, why don't we just make him Beaver Cleaver's son? Um, but then the rest of it just went went in the mind of Vince Russo. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take credit for for fucking that one up. But uh, you know that's what you get when you make suggestions. Sometimes, sometimes you can make suggestions in jest, and they become reality. And then you go, "Oh my god!" So Chaz, I know you listen, man. I'm sorry, bro. But I thought, hey, getting on TV, doing anything would be cool at the time. I um I only learned recently that the lady who portrayed June on these Beaver Cleavage skits. Uh, actually passed away in 2004 right. of breast cancer. She was only 35 years old. What do you remember about Mariana? I didn't know that she was married to Paul Lazenby either. Yeah, she was a bodybuilder, a physical trainer, and she was somebody that had come to us through uh, Lisa Marie Verone, Lisa Verone, and the guys out in California. She was a god, just one of those people stopped in their tracks and like, Oh my gosh, who's that? She had a real presence about her. Um, strikingly beautiful. <laughs> it was, but yet wholesome all at the same time. And we were looking to do something with her and came in and Russo Sar fell in love with her and came up with, uh, Mrs. Cleaver, Mrs. Cleavage thought, you know, she could be the, not the mother, although that's probably what was interpreted. Oh, um, dude. Everybody said it was the mother. Come on. Yeah. Her name's uh, June. And what was Beaver's hey. mom's name? Oh, really? Damn. May, imagine those damn coincidences. But I, I mean, I have got to tell you the, the, the look of Marianne in the, like the polka dot dress and the pearl necklace and everything and the hair. Oh, just tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Why was she wearing a pearl necklace? Because, uh, June Cleaver always wore a pearl necklace. Oh, I thought you weren't trying to make it look like June Cleaver. Well, you wanted to go back to that era of vacuuming in a dress, high heels and, <laughs> and a pearl necklace, which I, I just always found fascinating about television shows in the fifties and sixties. That's not the way Mrs. Pritchard does it at your house. Shit. No. So let's talk about the other story here. Thrasher going to do a clown gimmick, a new look, Bruce Pritchard as his manager. How far did this come along and why didn't it happen? Well, the idea behind that was to essentially take the doink, the clown, um, create a new doink, the clown. I felt that Glenn Ruth had the ability wrestling wise to, to be that evil, sick worker, a la Matt Bourne. And I always liked Doink the Clown, obviously. Uh, I love that gimmick. The idea behind my new character was going to be something along the lines of you ever see Saturday Night Live with Dan Aykroyd and he's doing the, uh, the Bassomatic yes. and selling Bassomatic and you can buy. And so that was going to be my character. It was 
part of it was when I used to go down and I would collect the the basketball and the the deer head and all that other bullshit was that we were going to do an auction site to boot and I would be the host of this auction site. But wait, there's more. We've got one-eyed Pierre here with, you know, that was the name of the the deer head. And we would sell all that stuff, do it on an auction as part of the show, but also another way to drive people to WWF.com. In that, I was going to become a heel character to bring in charge of DTK Enterprises, which was Doink the Clown. DTK. Get it? You spell clown with a K because that's clever. Um, black hair, black... Uh, black mustache and goatee and everything. I showed up at TV with my hair, uh, black. And I swear I look like Bradshaw's big brother or older brother, not big. He's bigger than me, but I look like his older brother. Was there talk of the insane clown posse coming back here to sort of second this new DTK, the new clown character? No. Okay. Not to my knowledge. That's the way it was reported in the observer. And, um, it's kind of, guess fun. what? The observer is wrong again. He did mix up the, uh, the headbangers. He thought it was going to be, um, Charles Warrington jazz to be, um, the clown when really it was not as Glenn Ruth. No big deal. Imagine that Dave Meltzer getting something wrong. Oh God. Well, he does only on 98% of the shitty reports. So chat me up. Were you disappointed when this didn't come together? I mean, you enjoy performing. Were you looking forward to being back, back out there or no? I do enjoy performing. I, I it kind of came about from a, from a promo I had done to come back as basically Bruce, but expose I was brother love and in the relationship with undertaker and I, and, um, I had done my hair in, in kind of a burgundy, uh, look, and I cut a promo and Vince was like, Bruce, that's, I love the promo. I'm not going to do that, but what if we did this? And he, he came back with, you know, I love it, but I just want to do something different with it. Uh, and that's how it all came about. So yeah, I, I was looking forward to performing and, and doing something and I also thought that, uh, for Glenn Ruth, I thought that the doink character could have been something that he could have had a whole hell of a lot of fun with. And it's just another way to introduce a new old character. Melster did report some rumor and innuendo. He says there seems to be plans again to start building to a Billy gun heel turn. There has at least been talk of using the Hardy brothers as DX pledges and also pairing them with Michael Hayes to create a new generation freebird team. Now, of course we know it's not really a new generation freebird team, but I guess a little bit because they are going to become a trio. Was there talk of the Hardy boys maybe being DX pledges? That could have been a fun idea. I don't know. You know, so much of this was like Russo stuff, but I know from early on we did, you know, we did have guys, different people like uh test and other people that we were pitching constantly to be a part of DX and DX, you know, they had their little group. They didn't want anybody else to be in it. So anytime anything new would come up, they would immediately just, no, don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. So anything like that, that would get 
blown out of proportion and people, well, they're going to put them in DX. That's why they had to do that for the, for the Hardys. Um, I think they would have been great <laughs> as DX pleasures, quite frankly, but I also don't know if they would have been as big and gotten over as much after Michael without Michael in the beginning. I think Michael helped them on a, a shitload. Uh, this I can't believe this really happened. It was in the observer that Vince McMahon spoke at Harvard April 15th. Is that right? Yeah. I believe he got a, a, an actual honorary uh, doctorate from Harvard as well. <laughs> God damn Harvard. Yeah. Fuck Yale. Um, it's also reported quote. Austin was actually hit by a car on April 16th, at the San Antonio airport, getting ready to fly to Vancouver for a show that evening. He was hit by the car and rolled over the head. And then the driver drove off, but Austin apparently got the license plate number. Chat me up here. Who hit that motherfucker with a car? No one will ever know, man. It's a mystery. I think it was Rikishi who was getting his car in the, uh, in the, uh, rental car thing and saw Austin because after all, whenever you see a bald guy with a goatee, you got to run that son of a bitch over. It's amazing. Well, it is. It's just what it's what you do. <laughs> and he's <laughs> and he's bald, got a goatee. Well, run him over. Hit him with a car. I mean, is that sort of the uh did this have anything to do with the storyline that we're gonna see? I mean, obviously it didn't, but I'm saying is it like the inspiration for it or is it just a lucky accident? <laughs> a happy accident. Literally, yes. right? Yeah. Literally a happy accident. Yes. You guys are uh, breaking the bank here on house shows in this era, uh, particularly in Calgary and Edmonton. I mean, you set new records, all time records for wrestling. Uh, apparently even Bret Hart was backstage at the Calgary show. Um, Meltzer would write a lot more was made of it than probably should have been because he's friends with people like Mick Foley, Undertaker rock and several others. And Bischoff was apparently glad for Hart to do it because the idea in Bischoff's mind was to get people on the internet thinking that Hart was about to go back and thus continue the idea that he really quit WCW. So it accomplished that goal. This happens at a time when, you know, he's obviously not on good terms with Vince McMahon, but he still shows up at a house show. what did you think when he heard that he was doing a run in here to visit the guys? He had asked permission or uh, some. <sighs> People had asked and people came to Vince and say, Hey, Brett would like to come by and say, hello. Is there a problem with that? And Vince didn't have a problem with it at all. It was much ado about nothing. Uh, pretty much what was explained there. Brett was friends with all these guys. Brett wanted to come by and say hello in his hometown and didn't want it to be clandestine or anything like that. He didn't come out in front of the people. Vince didn't have a problem with it at all. So sure. Have him come by. You weren't there. It was a house show. You weren't no, there. Yeah. No, it was a house show. I wasn't there. Uh, it's also coming out here that um, you guys broke off a three-year contract here with the William Morris Agency when it came to representing talent, and instead you sived with Endeavor, and you're their first corporate client. The breakup with the Morris Agency was allegedly uh, going to come to a head when they're negotiating a feature for Columbia pictures and McMahon instructs the agency to pass on the project. And the disagreement was enough to sever ties. And they still had like 18 months left on it. 
what do you remember about this Columbia pictures contract and why things came to an end here with William Morris? Well, I think that the big issue with William Morris was that they weren't coming. They weren't really coming to us with enough and they weren't able to go out there. They weren't selling our guys. They were waiting for things to come in and then presenting them versus going out and actively pitching our talent and pitching the company and pitching the stars that we wanted them to pitch. We were getting inundated with other offers, whether it came in directly through the office or, or through other people in the company that Vince said, what the hell are they doing for us right now that we can't do for ourselves?" Right. And they felt that somebody else handling that when you've got William Morris, one of the biggest agencies in the world, WWE was not high on their priority list at that point. So they weren't out actively pitching. They were pitching us what people were coming to them with. Vince felt it should have been the other way around. And he's right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Rick rude passed away on April 20th, 1999. You can hear all about him in our archives. We do have a Rick rude episode, believe it or not, all the way back in 2016. It was like a long time ago. Uh, Glenn Ruth, we just talked about headbanger thrasher comes out here is suing the Philadelphia Phillies for $10 million because a foul ball hit his wife in the left eye. And now she's legally blind in that eye. Of course, I think, um, a lot of people have tried this, um, unsuccessfully, but there have been some settlements where the plaintiff has awarded a bunch of cash. Do you ever talk about, uh, his wife get hit in the eye? Oh man, it was absolutely brutal. The uh, the whole, you know, side of her face was all messed up and she took a hell of a shot. I believe they made some kind of settlement with them, but it was man, it was a bad deal. <laughs> you know, you're just sitting there watching a ball game and next thing you know, your wife is in an emergency room and then loses the sight in her eye. So, I believe there was some kind of settlement. I don't know what it was, but I remember seeing all the pictures and and talking to her about it afterwards. Well, listen, it's, it's not cool. You know, when something like that happens to your wife, but maybe you can hit her with something she'd really like go to zingapro.com because they sell. And yes, this is real folks. The all new pro extender penis enlargement system. And Bruce, you've been using this thing. No, no, Conrad. I, I have, I have not used this product. This is something that you were talking to me all about because you said it was so great they shipped it to you the very next day in discreet packaging and it, it's a pro extender penis stretcher and it's on groupon for 19.95 now listen listen they don't make unrealistic claims like the, the pills and the pumps and but wait hang on use, here's wait. the best part of this bruce what? and i'm glad you're explaining it because you were telling me off air that it's really been working for you because it's scientific it's gradual tension and you've been stretching your penis for permanent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were telling me you're up to an inch now. I mean, you've got a whole inch in the last month and you can too. Oh no, that was an inch overall. Oh, so there you go. Yeah. It's not where you start. It's where you but, finish and you're going to finish stronger. Thanks to zingapro.com. They've sold well, over. Conrad, if like you size is an <laughs> issue for you and your partner, then zingapro.com penis stretcher will boost 
your sexual confidence, man. Yes, folks, this is actually happening. We joke about doing this, but this is real. Zincapro.com. They've sold over 10,000 Pro Extenders on Groupon. Okay? And the rumor in innuendo is that the Pritchard family themselves have bought 9,900 of these things. Check it out. Zingapro.com. Oh, Lord. That's Z I N G A P R O.com. It's real, folks. It's a group. Conrad says it works, folks. So go visit them over there at Zingapro.com. And <laughs> we're, not, we're not done yet. You've got to do the last line they want here. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm going to need you to do this one. <laughs> Yeah, I can't do it. I can't. I just, I. What you gonna do when you achieve a longer, thicker erection, brother? Dude, dude, dude. What? What's happening? Oh my gosh. Seriously, ZingaPro.com, real product, folks. And uh, hey, guys, need something to stretch your thing. Check them out. It's real. I just checked it out. Z A N G A. Remember, I said, hey, what's this package? It's a blank. Plain unscrupulous package that you got at your house of the day. What's well, weird is you fine. tried to wear this on stage at Gramercy, and I was trying to talk you out of it. Oh, how do you know I wasn't? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's the reason you demand the tablecloth <laughs> is on the stage. There you go. Zingapro.com. You oh, need to be an shit. adult to go look at this website, by the way. Uh, but if you're after a longer, thicker erection like Bruce, check it out. Zingapro.com. We're never beating this commercial. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Vince at Entertainment Weekly. He apparently sends them a letter, old school style, and complains because Goldberg is on the cover of the issue instead of Austin. His basic point is that whatever growth that has happened over the last year in pro wrestling was not pro wrestling growth, but WWF growth. And he complained about a photo on the inside of Goldberg and said that something like 35 million people can't be wrong. And Austin was liked by two thirds of those people. Chat me up here. What prompted Vince to do this? This feels old school Vince to reach out to the media personally like this. Well, of course, because we had cooperated with them on their whole article. The problem was entertainment weekly. I don't think that they knew the difference. I think they knew the difference between, uh, Goldberg, Austin, Undertaker, anybody else. So, you know, to them, it was all wrestling and it was all WWF at the time. So that was, that was Vince's point that we here, they had done allegedly their research with us. And then they plugged the other guys and, and didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Colt and Cornette come out and announce the UPN deal. And, um, then Vince and Stephanie come out first and Vince gets a huge reaction, but eventually they start chanting asshole at him and he thanks shamrock big show and Austin for helping him get Stephanie back. But then he promises Austin something. And before he can say what the corporation music hits and out comes Shane. And this is the way the very first UPN special of SmackDown actually started it aired on april 29th but it was taped a couple days prior on april 27th you guys are in new haven connecticut and it is sort of fun that the very first smackdown starts with the mcmahon strutting that ass well yeah 
they were the biggest stars in the damn company at the time. Vince goes to hit Shane, but Triple H and China block the way. Of course, Shane orders Vince to leave, and he does. Shane said Rock and Austin would have to be a team on the show and face corporation members. Triple H and Boss Man raise their hand. Shane picks Triple H, but ignores Boss Man, but Boss Man keeps volunteering. Eventually, he asks if there's any takers, and Undertaker and Ministry came out, so Undertaker is announced as the partner. So it's going to be Rock and Austin on one side, Triple H and Undertaker on the other. You guys are bringing out all the big guns on this first special, are you not? Yeah, because they wanted it to do well to prove a point that they could draw a number and let UPN know that uh, WWF is going to be a good partner. And by putting us out there, we're going to give you a show and hopefully grow that number like we did with Raw. Next up, we've got Jarrett and Venus scheduled, but Owen Hart comes in as the Blue Blazer and beats Venus. And then he does an interview talking about the state of the WWF and how you can believe in him and he wants to be a superhero for your kids. Of course, Godfather is in here as well. Uh, show beat test boss man attacks test after rock does a promo Shane and undertaker come out and announce the formation of the corporate ministry X-Pac and King get into it. Uh, D'Lo beat draws by DQ when Prince Albert interfered and they go to Pierce D'Lo's tongue, but ivory and Mark Henry make the save and Henry's getting a good pop here when he's cleaning house, uh, before the tag title match, Mr. Ass and Mr. Dog are at odds because dog said he and X-Pac were friends and, uh, ass got his ass in a dander. It's a long match here, like 15 minutes. Um, why does this get such a large amount of time on this first show? Well, probably because it was crossover. We wanted action in that crossover segment at the top of the hour when people are changing channels and looking for something. If you're in action, the chances are people will stop and take a look and sample what you've got. So we had to have one match and we felt that this match was going to be able to hold their attention. Billy Gunn is pressing X-Pac over his head. Kane shoves dog who accidentally clips Billy Gunn and X-Pac falls on top for the pin. And then the outlaws are arguing afterwards. We know that a, a heel turn is coming here for Billy Gunn. Next up, we see doc Hendricks interview the brood and it was written Gangrel can't talk, but edges vocals were good. Anyway, he started ripping on them saying everything they do was just a gimmick to get attention. So the lights went out and the free bird was left in a bloodbath. Uh, what did that say? Uh, <laughs> I bet you he's wearing white too. How did, uh, how did he like getting the bloodbath? I'm sure he just loved it. Well, fuck going to fuck up my hair. I ain't got much of it. Next up, Shamrock beat Bradshaw in a street fight, choking him out with a baseball bat. Then Mankind beat Bossman. Uh, Bossman tried to leave once, but Tess throws him back in. Tries to leave a second time, but the show throws him back in and he gets the Socko for the finish. Billy Gunn would attack X-Pac backstage and Kane saves him. Hebner comes out just before the main event and there's a long break and a huge You Screwed Brett chant. And, uh, of course, Hebner was tickled about that, I'm sure. Your main event had no finish that night. You've got, uh, the corporate ministry, Shamrock test and show all brawling and they wind up brawling to the back. Shane and Vince end up fighting and Vince knocks out Shane rock and triple H brawl to the back and Taker choke slams Austin and grabs a chair. Vince tries to take it, but Taker knocks out Vince with a chair and then Shane starts pounding on Vince. Austin gives Taker a stunner and then he gave Shane a stunner. And Austin poured beer on Vince to revive him. And that is how you guys end the UPN special 
Um, what sort of added pressure was there for the performers, the writing staff? You know, this is sort of a trial before you buy situation. It feels like everybody would have been trying to pull out all the stops here. Sure. We also had the luxury of being able to edit it and make it the very best that it could be. We wanted to provide something that was going to be action all the way through and just throw the book at them, <laughs> give them a pay-per-view event on network television. And that's what we did. And I think that it, the returns worked out pretty well for them. What was the, um, what was the takeaway from the first show? Do you remember? I mean, was it, was Vince pleased? Was there anything that sticks out to you when you watched it back this week? Yeah, I think everybody was pleased. The, the one thing about it was from my vantage point was kind of questioning, how do you sustain this every week? It's new, it's different. So now you're doubling, you're doubling your workload but not just doubling your workload, you're doubling your creative and what you would normally do over 52 weeks. Now you're adding not just, you know, that, that 104 hours, you're adding an additional, <laughs> you know, basically another 52 weeks. You're, you're adding another network show. And that challenge was a little daunting when you looked at it from a whole brand new vantage point. Right. Scary. Let's talk about, uh, the UPN reaction. You know, I mean, the, the number comes in, you guys are pleased. They're pleased. What was the feedback you got from them? Well, they, they were happy with it and they were happy with, and I want to, I want to say, and, and I could be wrong on this, but I think they even replayed the damn thing. They were so happy with it, but it was, everybody was pleased and they were looking forward to doing more when they saw that, that this audience came in prime time and they, you know, they weren't there when they started, you know, we brought the audience to their channel. Um, man, that's a broadcaster's dream talk to me a little bit about the name you know we've been talking about it for a while and we haven't really discussed the name smackdown of course i think most wrestling fans first heard that when the rock was doing promos and they would say you know i'm gonna lay the smackdown on your candy ass or whatever what was the first time you remember hearing that and who suggested the name for the show because it does feel i don't know different i don't yeah, it, it did. And it, it was Vince asked for suggestions from everybody under the sun. You know, people sent in tons of suggestions and he would whittle them down to what he liked. And we would all take our favorites of what we liked. And then, of course, you you got to work with the network to see what they liked. Everybody kept coming back to SmackDown. It, it's kind of like primetime wrestling when we were looking to do primetime live and we were working on the Raw show. Um, in describing what the raw show would be, we kept saying, you know, it's going to be raw. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be down and dirty. Well, this, this became almost, you know, the, the man, this is going to be the SmackDown. This is going to be man where shit's on. And, and, and they kept using SmackDown as, is a term kind of like rock. I'm going to lay up the SmackDown on you. Network liked it. We began, began to use that as a descriptor. And before you know it, that's your name. God damn, it's right there in front of you. It's SmackDown. And you're off and running. 
it's not always as cut and dry as, hey, I know I've got an idea. It, it was a lot of different people and a lot of different conversations. And when you were describing it so many different ways and trying to make people understand what is this show, Vince felt, in a word, SmackDown described it. Do you remember any other names that were considered? Oh God, I don't, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that Howard Finkel probably had it. And I'm not, I'm not kidding here. I bet you Howard probably had 25 to, to 50 different suggestions of Russell town and <laughs> just probably a million different names, uh, but pl please I, fucking tell me Russell town was one of them. Okay. Just, just lie to me. Yeah. Yeah. Russell town. That's so great. Howard Finkel presents WrestleTown. Now that has a ring to it. Yes. I'd, I'd watch it just on the Howard Finkel presents. The uh, Fink presentations is, is of you, production. Is UPN involved in the naming process at all? Yes. Yeah, they were. They were definitely consulted and we, we threw all these suggestions by them. And so I say, you know, they, they, they really liked it. They felt it was edgy and they liked it because it was different and it was a lot different than raw or superstars or challenge or any of that other stuff that we had had before. You know, we, we caught, I, I can tell you, you know, some of the names we talked about resurrecting the main event even really. Uh, yeah. The, the main event, not necessarily, obviously not Saturday night's main event, but Wait, just taking, well, would that have been confusing to have Saturday night's main event on Thursday? You know, I, I think it would have, but why not? It could be Saturday night's main event on Thursday. Real question here. Do you think there was any interest in Vince McMahon considering a second show had thunder not existed? Um, at that point, man, he wasn't, we were winning. He wasn't paying attention to their shit. No, I no, get that, I, but I'm, I, just I'm saying, saying that the, the second show, uh, coming up with all of the other shit going on. Yeah. Vince was looking to, to expand because he was looking to take the damn thing public and he wanted, he wanted as much exposure as he could possibly get. So it, it wasn't like we were going to another cable thing. This was, again, it was a big deal, man, because it was broadcast. I think that's lost on people. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of wrestling fans, just think of them both as Thursday shows and don't really take into account that one was cable while it was, you know, arguably one of the number one cable channels. The other was dime store broadcast, but still broadcast. Everybody could get it. Yeah. No, no argument for me. And you know what? Everybody can start losing their hair too. And that's what we want to tell you about four hymns.com. I'm a big fan of four hymns because four hymns has helped Bruce in a major way. You know, he started to lose some of his hair. He's getting a little older and he now has a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and most of all, sexual wellness. And we know that Bruce has been struggling with that. Bruce, tell us about your experience so far with four hymns.com. Well, Hey, let me explain something to you. Four hymns.com. It's the only proven way to keep your hair. Okay. You don't want to start a hair treatment. After you've already lost it, if you're starting to lose it, it's starting to thin, it's starting to bald a little bit, that's the time to start your treatment. Do something about it while you still have something to work with. And 
Forhims.com, man. It gets you real doctors. You get medical grade solutions that are going to treat your hair loss. And here's the deal, man. They're well known, generic equivalents, name brand prescriptions to keep your hair. It's no snake oil pills, no, you know, the, the stuff at the gas station over the counter. No, this isn't it. Uh, all you got to do, answer a few quick questions, and a doctor will review and prescribe you these products. They're shipped directly to your door. And thanks to science, baldness is no longer just what happens to you when you reach a certain age, man. It can be optional. And they've got everything, man. they got complete hair kits from shampoo, drops, vitamins. And all you got to do is head on over there and visit them at 4 slash WWE. And our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today. But that's only while supplies last. So you go to the website, get the full details. This would cost you hundreds if you had to go to a doctor and go wait in line at the pharmacy. But all you got to do is go to 4 slash W-W-E. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash W-W-E. Forhims.com forward slash W-W-E. So let's talk a little bit about the imagery for SmackDown. Of course, it didn't debut this way, but eventually you guys went to the giant fist logo. I don't know when we'll talk about that again. Whose idea was that? Where does that come from? And why was it the right look for SmackDown? Well, the, the original one or this one? I mean, the, the original one where, where we had the, all the circles and everything that was just, it, it kind of was a futuristic set that everybody drew up and we had designers that came back, wanted to be different than raw, but Vince always liked having that screen as a part of it. So we had the screen off to the side and it was, uh, and you rock, the, you rock that from like 99 to 02, but then you break out the fist in 02. And I don't know when we'll talk about the fist. So chat me up. Who want, who, who liked the fist better than this? Vince. Well, actually we all love the fist better than this, man. I thought that the fist, it just looks so damn powerful coming through, breaking through that glass and the mirror and everything. That was a cool looking set today to this day. I think people still identify with that set and with SmackDown. That was cool looking shit. And it was different. Let's talk about, um, the first time the show actually airs for real, not just the pilot. I guess I should remind you first that SummerSlam 99 went down on August 22nd. Uh, so like a week before SmackDown here, uh, of course, SummerSlam huge success. Uh, the governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura is there refereeing the main event. And, uh, it's a triple threat for the world title. Mankind would pin Austin to win the world title. Of course, triple H is there. And then the next night on raw triple H would pin mankind to win his first title. So business is a boom in here. Why is the decision made to debut SmackDown one week after SummerSlam instead of one week prior? Doesn't it feel like it would have been an opportunity to get some last minute eyeballs there for a pay-per-view? Well, basically the, the whole idea behind debuting SmackDown when we did was it was the fall season. It was a new television season. It wasn't about at that point promoting SummerSlam. It was what was best for the network and what was going to be best for us. So this was the beginning of their new season when it started. 
So we were in that first whole debut week of when all the new programs were in. If you want to see SmackDown, that was the big part of their big fall push. Before we jump into the first show, let's tidy up some news and notes here from the time. Steve Austin was allegedly going to present an award at the Teen Choice Awards, but he winds up not doing it because he messes around and wins the favorite wrestler award. And the other nominees were Goldberg, Rock, and Undertaker. So it tells you a lot about what was resonating with kids when you've got one WCW guy and three WWF. And the WWF is so hot, they even send Deborah to present an award with Mini Me from the Austin Powers movie. This is a. You know, I know a lot of people sort of see these award shows and dismiss them, but from a mainstream advertiser PR standpoint, this is great exposure. Is it not? Oh my God. Yes. Uh, between the MTV, you know, video awards, the teen choice, the Nickelodeon awards, all of those, it was mainstream and they, everybody wanted, this was a period stone cold was just so hot Everybody wanted Stone Cold. Everybody wanted Steve to be a part of it. So it was great. I mean, it was, they had originally asked for him to be there to be a presenter, but when he won the damn thing, it was like, okay, um, glad we're going to have you there, but, <laughs> but for a different reason. So it all worked out well. It was, but it was good mainstream stuff. Meltzer would report that Davy Boy Smith officially signed his new contract in Stanford on August 12th. And on that very same day, he and his wife, Diana Hart did a lengthy interview taped for television with Jr. And he thinks it's supposed to start airing, you know, around the same time here as the SmackDown. Uh, apparently it was supposed to be a pretty controversial segment because it's supposed to be more on the shoot side of things and behind the scenes surprise, there were issues with the Hart family. A lot of people were criticizing Davy boy uh, for going back. And some have decided to just stay out of the situation, but apparently there's a family rift and it's even sort of hinted at in one of Bret Hart's columns that he had in the newspaper at the time. And Davy boy here looks pretty ripped here. Um, Meltzer would even say reports are that Smith looks like Scott Steiner 250 and ripped, which is amazing on a lot of levels. I saw a photo of him this past week in a Japanese magazine and he looked huge. He's saying his knees are a hundred percent for the first time in a long time. His back isn't a hundred percent, but he's saying it's good enough to get by. We've talked a little bit about bulldog in this era here because he's not just going back after the Bret Hart screw job, but from the first SmackDown pilot to now this being the first SmackDown, unfortunately we lost Owen Hart. And so a lot of the family is probably not too thrilled with bulldog going back here. What do you remember about that? Well, again, I, I don't think that people were, uh, and I don't, I'm not going to claim to know what anybody in the Hart family was feeling or thinking during this time. But what the realization of everything was when everybody left after the Montreal screw job, except for Owen, of course, um, was, well, I'll be taken care of in, in WCW. Brett's in WCW, he'll take care of us. And they found out well, that wasn't necessarily the case. And Brett had his deal, and, and Brett wasn't necessarily taking care of anybody. Not that he has to either. Um, so don't get me wrong there. Brett was, was taking care of Brett, but I think that there was an expectation from some people. Um, 
and there seemed to be a lot of infighting in, in the hearts constantly. So Davy boy coming back was just, you know, Davy boy coming back again. <laughs> um, really at the end of the day, Diana wanted to be a part of the, the storyline. She had been a part of storyline before. Um, but I think I don't want to say cooler heads prevailed, but at the end of the day, the, the creative just wasn't working. I mean, it wasn't going to work. I don't think that people cared that much anymore. Not nearly as much as they did. That makes any sense. It does. Something that didn't make any sense to me is that Barry Werner was actually the sports editor for the New York daily news. And he was editing the WWF magazines. You ever hear about that? Do you ever meet Barry? Yeah, I know Barry really well, but Barry, uh, but he did both for, for a short time before he came on to us full time. It wasn't like he was an editor of the daily news for two years and editor of our magazine for two years. He had been with the daily news and had done some stuff with us previously. The opportunity arose for him to come in and be the editor of the magazine. And we brought Barry in, but I, he didn't do both for very long. There was a little bit of overlap from him coming from the news to working with us, but not much. Austin made another mainstream appearance here. He's on Conan O'Brien on August 19th. Uh, I don't know how I skipped this. I guess we should mention it. We're going to cover it next year on our show here, something to wrestle, but rumor and innuendo is that in the next week or so, you'll be able to hear talk is Jericho with Chris Jericho and myself as a guest where we talk about his debut in the WWF on August 9th. Uh, chat me up here. What do you remember? about Chris's debut and sort of what the rap on him was coming in. Oh my God. You know, Chris, Chris coming in. I remember Chris in Calgary, uh, bouncing down the steps one one night we were in Calgary doing TV. Chris was working for, uh, WCW at the time. I'd never met Chris before introduced myself. My brother had worked with him before in smoky mountain wrestling. And I always liked Chris. I thought he was a talented guy. Um, he was, you know, he was the team of the, whatever the hell they were, the, the lion hearts or whatever they were for smoky mountain during the time, um, high volt. What the hell were they in smoky mountain? Thrill seekers, thrill seekers. Thank you. You almost thank called you. them fucking high voltage and I'm going to nut tap you the next time I see you for that. Yeah. Well, I'll t tell Chris, Chris, well, Chris listens <laughs> Oh, high voltage. That's good. Fucking but high Jericho, voltage. No, Jericho, man, he, he was, a man, he was a hot commodity and Chris coming in was a big deal. So Chris's debut was highly touted. A lot of people didn't know, you know, those Y2, uh, J countdowns and the teases that we had for so long, people didn't know it, but man, when that Y2J hit on the screen and they knew that was Jericho, fuck, I think Chris was made, you know, he had a rough start for whatever reason because I think everybody was looking for him to fail instead of trying to help him succeed, but he overcame it. And I think he's become absolutely legendary in, in his career. So that's off to him. Why don't you think he had a match at SummerSlam? Like, you know, I know it's not a ton of time, but it still feels like you could have had him, you know, work a match and just run through a guy early, huh? You, sure, you could do a lot of things, but again, it, it's programming and trying to make the most out of it. Vince knowing that he had 
this in his pocket and wanted to have something special for UPN and the first SmackDown. Um, it was all about programming and we had it. You, you didn't need the debut of Chris Jericho in, in the ring at SummerSlam. Didn't need him to work yet. So save it for, for ratings, save it for your debut on uh, UPN. Here's something we've never talked about before. It comes out around this time that Shawn Michaels was working three days a week as a television sportscaster on KNS in San Antonio. He was covering high school sports and this blew my mind. What, what'd you think, or what'd you make of Shawn Michaels, the on-air correspondent for high school sports? Well, Sean was, was a local boy. He had his, he had his wrestling school going on in San Antonio at the time. Sean, I believe really thought that, you know, he was done with wrestling at this point that he was going to fade off into the sunset. Maybe he would become a sportscaster. He would have his wrestling school and, and do other things. So he, he got the gig and he got out there. It was something that I think he had always wanted to try and do. And big name in San Antonio to have him go out and do the high school sports. He had fun with it. I think like Kurt Angle, I don't know that he was necessarily the, the best at it, but it didn't matter. It was Shawn Michaels doing it. And it was a way to get him in front of the local audience and plug his stuff. It's, um, it's pretty crazy to think about Shawn Michaels as an on-air correspondent. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, we recently saw. Kane become mayor, but that wasn't the first time that somebody was running for mayor in the WWE Jerry Lawler talking about running for mayor in Memphis. This seems like this is out of the book of bad ideas. What'd you think of this? Well, you just said it book of bad ideas. Um, you know, Jerry's king of Memphis. And if you ask Jerry, by God, he believes it. And Jerry was a huge star jerry is probably the most recognizable person in memphis tennessee no doubt um you know he's been there forever but with that also comes the warts and and the the not positive things and jerry had had his share of not positive issues be it in memphis be it uh overall whatever so yeah yeah it's there was just no way he was going to win. I don't, I don't care how popular he is. There's I don't just know no why. Way. I love that. You just got to, there's no way he's going to win. There's just no way he's going to win. And, and I remember talking to him and just saying, why would you, why would you open yourself and your family up to the kind of scrutiny and the kind of microscope that you're going to be under to run for public office? And I, I remember a time in, in roughly, I don't know, about 2005 or six, I seriously thought about running for mayor in League City, Texas. No, you didn't. And I, yeah, I really seriously did. And I, and I talked to a buddy of mine that's an attorney. And in about two minutes, he just looked at me and says, why would you open your life up to the same thing that I said to Lawler? He threw back in my face. And I went, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Um, and then I go do a podcast and just throw it out there for the world. But, but you're not asking for votes. I mean, no, I'm not. And let's no. run through this. If you were asking for votes, basically every episode would, would move you further and further down the polls. Yes, definitely. Because all they would have to do is go and, and, 
and pull up all of our stuff in the archives and listen, which I encourage everyone to do. But it, it just wasn't it, it wasn't something. And King was serious about it. And I think out of uh, four out of four people running, I think he came in sixth. Let's talk about something that's not coming in sixth. It's you guys actually doing a debut for UPN. But before you do, Meltzer would report that you guys were getting a budget of $4 million from UPN. That's what they were going to spend to promote SmackDown. And allegedly, they only have a $10 million spend annually to promote everything on their network. So 40% of their total promotional budget that year was spent promoting SmackDown. And Meltzer would write, quote, the network is going with the idea that the show is going to save a network that pretty well is dying at this point. UPN has publicly said that the show is the network's top priority. And a lot of TV writers are noting the addition of SmackDown and ECW on TNN could lead to overexposure. Paul Heyman's response is that he is doing a show based on in-ring rather than out of the ring. And thus what they are doing is already overexposed and what he's doing isn't. And McMahon's claim is that his show isn't wrestling, so he's not overexposed. Quote, we're not wrestling. We've never been wrestling, and we refuse to be placed in the wrestling category. That's Ted Turner's business, and I guess it's the guy on TNN's business. And um, I don't know how to take that, but but let's, let's have you sort of weigh in here. First of all, what a great vote of confidence. I mean, you want a television partner like this who's going to pardon the pun and go all in for you and 40% of their budget on your show. That's as all in as it gets, right? We, we were the lead on everything for UPN. We were what they were looking for to save that network and to bring that network into the forefront and actually, you know, actually see them in the ratings at some point. Um, so it, it was a big deal and it was a major spend. They did a lot. We did a lot. Uh, our sales team worked with their sales team as well. We took that $4 million and probably got 10 million worth of advertising out of it and exposure out of it with everything that we did as well. So it was, uh, it was a good partnership. It really and truly was. So one of the things I've wanted to know though, is, you know, did you, did you guys know that this was sort of make or break for UPN? I mean, it's even written here a network that was pretty well dying at this point. And the idea here is that you guys are essentially here to save them. Well, they weren't, you know, obviously they were low on that pecking, you know, they were second from last. Um, but it was also Viacom. So it was an opportunity. If you really do well on UPN, there's that opportunity for CBS. There's all those other Viacom properties that you can then be a part of. If you can show how successful you are, on this network that didn't bother us because we were confident that we would be successful and that we would be able to deliver an audience to, to the network. And that was something that we knew we could do. And that, that was the least of our worries. Let's talk about, um, the statement here. We're not wrestling. We've never been wrestling and we refuse to be placed in the wrestling category. You know, we've heard Vince, you know, sort of, espouse this behind the scenes a lot, or at least, you know, based on what we hear secondhand, but now here he is saying it, you know, in the news, I mean, you're an old school wrestling he's, guy. What do you think? He's always said it in the news though. I mean, that that's always been Vince's stance. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he always sort of says, you know, something or not dancing around it. Like we make movies or whatever, but sports to entertainment, ju- but to just say, we're not wrestling. What's your take on that? And don't give me some whitewash bullshit. No, he, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be in that wrestling category. He doesn't want to be in the pro wrestling category because pro wrestling for so many years was looked down upon and Vince wanted to be more than that. He wanted to be sport and entertainment and not pigeonhole it so that when you're looking at programming, people aren't describing it as, well, that's a wrestling show. He wanted it to be an entertainment show. He wanted it to be a variety show. And that was how he views the product still to this day. That is how he views the product. They're not wrestlers. They're superstars. They're more than wrestlers. They don't just go out and wrestle wrestling matches. They entertain, they have reality shows. They do other things other than just wrestle. So that's the thinking behind it. And if you, if it it starts there and if you allow yourself and allow other people to categorize it, that way, that's all you'll ever be. And he just wanted it to be more, still does want it to be more. So it's sports entertainment, and that's the reasoning behind it. I'm with you on the rationale, but doesn't it seem a little disingenuous to have, you know, the name of your company be World Wrestling Federation, and you're saying, I'm not wrestling? You're sports entertainment. Yeah, but you're not world sports entertainment entertaining, uh, you know, world sports entertainment. Well, there was, there was a bid to change it to world sports entertainment. So, but, but they didn't cause he's wrestling. No, I, I understand that. And, and I understand, I hear what you're saying, but when you speak about, you know, the category and where you want to be, he didn't want to be categorized in the pro wrestling category, but the, he but, wanted to be, he wanted to be in the entertainment category with Saturday night live and sign Steinfeld and everybody else. I'm with you. I understand we're dealing with an irrational person here. No, it's semantics and it, and it's how you present your product. And if you present your pro, if you present your product in what people stereotypically looked at pro wrestling and how they viewed it from the standpoint of, okay, it's, it's pro wrestling and it's a smoke filled arena. Um, they're doing wrestling. He just wanted to be more than that. He wanted to be, okay, this is the WWF. This is bigger than pro wrestling. This is sports entertainment. And it's no different than he, he didn't like calling his, you know, the, the champion. He didn't like having a, a world champion. He had a World Wrestling Federation champion. It's semantics and presentation of the product and positioning. It's fucking stupid is what it is. Well, uh, you, you say WWE and you say World Wrestling Federation instead of wrestling. When people think of, they think of it, they think of the WWE. They don't think of wrestling. No, no, and that's I'm how with they present you. it. I understand we're going with Band Aid, not Bandage. I understand we're going with UFC, not MMA. I get it, but to say we're not wrestling when literally it's your fucking middle name, not in a funny way, but like. No, and what, what uh, he's saying that we're more than that. He doesn't want to be in the wrestling category. He wants to be in the sports entertainment category. And when you create your own category, but wouldn't it be easier if you really believe that to, you know, change your fucking name? No, because that's what people know. <laughs> so you want to have your cake and eat it too. I want yes. you to know we're wrestling unless you're buying ads. And then you know what? We're not wrestling. What our name is. We're entertainment. It's amazing. 
All right, let's move on. We'll talk about this forever. Now, Phil Mushnick, this guy was a thorn in Vince's side at the time. He rips the UPN president, Dean Valentine and the TV guide. Uh, and of course he's taking him to task for saying the WWF was quote, an incredibly mild form of entertainment end quote. Uh, that's sort of interesting of all the ways I would describe WWE an incredibly mild form of entertainment. I don't think that describes 1999 WWE. Does it? <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's a little more intense than a mild form of entertainment. Let's talk about, um, something that's always been but Phil Mushnick is a dickhead have clue anyway. Yeah. If you're listening, fuck off. We don't like you. So the September 6th issue of business week runs a story about NBC stronghold on Thursday night, primetime. And what's interesting is NBC's Thursday night generates 38% of the total network ad revenue. So process that they've got seven days of programming and 38% of the revenue comes from one day. Uh, Seinfeld is going to be ending its run and overall numbers are down there like 16%. Frazier is down 26%. Uh, because it's no longer at that Seinfeld level, but still business is strong. And with Seinfeld leaving the marketplace, it probably feels like an opportunity for somebody to grab market share, which may have been one of the strategies here. If you know, one of the tippy top shows is leaving. Well, let's put it in that same spot and see if we can pick up some new eyeballs, right? People are, people have viewing habits. They're used to going to the television and, and family night in front of the TV. If you will, they're used to going and watching something. So when you have a mass audience and you give them something else to sample, that was the idea behind it. And if you're going to compete, get in the ring when you're going to have the most eyeballs. Uh, chat me up here. They plug in this business week article. This is famous stone cold. Steve Phillips. Oh God. He was over, man. What's great Steve is Phillips. clearly they've, they've taken stone Phillips, the, the <laughs> newsman, the talking head. And they've combined it with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And we've got Stone Cold Steve Phillips, which really sounds like a TNA character, does it not? Yeah. Well, Stone Cold Steve Phillips. We used to like him. Originally, he was Cold Stone Steve Phillips. But uh, <laughs> that, trust me, we, we didn't let that one rest. We use that quite often, as a matter of fact. You would We'd always introduce Steve and say, hey, you met Stone Cold Steve Phillips here? That's yeah. tremendous. Oh yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, let's go to the first SmackDown. August 24th, 1999 is when it happened, which is why we're covering it today. Cause today is of course, August 24th. It drew 9,779 fans. There's a big gate, 321,000 and change. It airs on UPN two days later, which is a Thursday. Thunder of course is already on Thursday. You guys are sort of doing to them what they did to you. They went head to head with raw. Now you're head to head with thunder. And I, I, we haven't really talked about it yet, but what was it like for everyone to sort of adjust because everyone has to adjust your whole work week had been based on a Friday night house show, a Saturday night house show, sometimes two shots on Sunday and then Monday raw and then time to go home. But now we're adding another day. Um, how was this adjustment for everyone, the cast, the crew, the wrestlers, and then we'll talk about the writers in a minute. Well, as far as it, it was, thank God it was another day of revenue. So business was hot. The, the house show business was good. So when you would come in on a Tuesday for these SmackDown tapings, 
and advertised that this was going to be a SmackDown taping, that drew as well. So it was another day for the boys to make money. They weren't complaining there. And you also had the rights fees coming in. So it, it's, it's more revenue for the company. But it now instead of you're gone one day a week, now you're gone two days a week, every single week. And that was, that was a bit of an adjustment because when I first started, you know, you would go out and do a couple days of TV every three weeks. And then we went to every other week and now it's every week and it's two days a week, every week. Um, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. So it was <laughs> on the family life. It was a little different. Let's talk about the writing because all of a sudden, you know, you, you've got this pressure and we've talked about what a pressure cooker raw could be where you write it and then you send it to Vince and then he makes his changes. Then you have production meetings day of, and everything's changing. But now all of a sudden, instead of doing that for one day where you have a whole nother week to put together the next show, you've got to double it up and you don't have the luxury of doing one on Monday and one on Thursday. They're back to back ones on Monday, ones on Tuesday from a manpower standpoint and even a brain power standpoint. This is an incredible strain. Is it not? Yes, it is. And this was during time, you know, it was Russo and Ed Ferrar for the most part, writing the shows. Um, you, you double the workload. Now, I don't, I don't care how, you know, how you slice it, you're, you're doubling the workload. And, and I can make the argument that it's the same workload. It's just different. And you are speeding up the timeline on your storylines because we didn't have a brand split. It was the same storylines going from show to show. We assumed and wrote as if people are going to watch Raw on Monday and then SmackDown on Thursday. So the storylines continued uh, through the shows. It's monumental. I mean, it it is. But at the same time, if you still only had one show, you would still be working just as much, doing just as much for the one show. And at least this way, kind of divvied it up into two shows. But um, still double the workload. It's still double the shows and it eats up your talent. Like I said, where you would normally have a year's worth of programs that cuts it down to six months right here by doubling the shows. Who's protesting the most besides Vince Russo? Um, it didn't matter if you protested. It was going to fall on deaf ears. Something Vince wanted to do, get over it. We got to be more creative. We need more talent. We've got to figure out a way to do this. It, it got, no matter what argument you threw, he threw it back at you. So are you telling me you're not creative enough to do this? Are you telling me that we don't have enough talent? If we don't have enough talent, we'll get more talent. Are you telling me that we have uh, too much television time? There's never too much television time and exposure. So no matter what you came up with, he would counter it. We're already working to midnight every day. Well, that's different. <laughs> you know, like, well, um, we're, we're eating up our creative and we're eating up our ideas at, at twice the pace now. And that's challenging. And I don't give a fuck who you are. It's challenging. Chat me up. 
was there ever any consideration? And this is obviously before WCW goes under it's before ECW goes under. Was there ever any consideration to doing like a different, a different version of a brand split or was it always, no, we got to do that. Now I asked that because you did sort of say, well, we kicked around the idea of doing a women's show, but there wasn't enough talent. And specifically you meant there's just not a lot enough lady wrestlers. Like there's not as many back then as there are now. Right. Chat me up though. You could have went and snatched up a bunch of indie talent and maybe tried to have a different style presentation. You had a working relationship with ECW. The cruiserweights had done well for WCW. Was there consideration to a different style of a brand split or was that never considered? There was consideration for a lot of things. The, the all female show, there was consideration as to trying to make change and it was more along the lines of how do you change raw and do you make raw the first half be a cruiserweight show, be cruiserweights and more female talent in competition. But it, for Vince, it came back to, I've got, I've got to have Austin. I've got to have taker. I've got to have DX. I've got to have mankind. You know, we've got to be involved. Um, for ratings, it was, there wasn't that we'll take a step back now. It was no, it's pedal to the metal. I'm not willing to coast here for a minute and get our bearings. This is go and make this work and make it the best it can be. By the way, this other product over here better not fucking suffer. So you're, <laughs> you're tasked with both shows have to be great every week. There is no, there was no a show. There was no B show. It was by God. These are different shows. Similar storylines carried through. They have to be main event quality. They have to be, uh, competitive and make them great. One of the things we talked about when we mentioned a brand split before with WCW is that there would even be a separate office, like a separate writing team. Was that considered here for SmackDown? It doesn't feel like it. It feels like Vince just tapped Russo and Ed and said, Hey, you're doing two shows now. Right. Right. That's, that's exactly what it was. Congratulations. More shows. Let's go. Wouldn't it have been in hindsight, wouldn't it have been a better play to have another set of creative? I think it would have been the. The issue became though, you had the same talent, the same storylines. So the people create, you know, your creative nucleus where it's all coming from, it has to come from there. If they're already doing it. You might as well just film it all out. When you get too many cooks in the kitchen too, that becomes counterproductive. Um, if you're doing, if we would have been able to do a brand split at the time, and maybe we should have, what do you, you know, what do you do it with? Where does Austin go? Where yeah. does rock go? In my head, you, know? you, you send rock to SmackDown because it's named after him and you keep Austin on raw and then you try to build towards pay-per-views and you can create dream matches, but obviously that's not the direction you went. No. And, and it wasn't because you didn't want to take rock off raw and you needed Austin on SmackDown. 
that was the rationale behind it. And, and it's not always as easy as, oh, just, just do that. No, it, it, there's a lot more that goes into it. And dividing that talent up, that's where Vince came back with, we need more talent. Okay, we get more talent. You still only have two hours on Monday and two hours on Thursday. And if of those two hours, it's the same guys, what's more talent going to do for us? Right. So that just became a, a constantly, you know, banging your head against the wall and that challenge of, of how do you create more opportunities for talent and how do we create and make these shows different when they have to follow the same storyline and not until the brand slip, the brand split, were we able to do that? Let's talk about, um, I, you know, I, I know you're going to argue about this, but should Russo have been paid more money here to do a second show? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and again, that's why I brought up the point of the workload was still the same. You're still going to be, you're still going to be working from the morning until late at night, every single day, regardless whether there was one show or two shows it is, it's speeding up the creative. Um, I think that what probably might've been better was just adding more to the creative process to take some of that burden off of him and having a different team. In hindsight, I think that probably would have been a better move. Let's talk about the show. Camper Arena, Kansas City. Unfortunately, it's the same arena where just three months earlier, Owen Hart passed away. Seems like a, a bad omen to have the first show here. When does everybody realize that that's where it's going to be? And does anybody talk about it that day? It's got to be something that people are aware of and emotional about. Uh, walking in was very eerie. I think everybody was talking about it and just, it was, it was eerie and it was uncomfortable, but the show goes on and, and you, you move on. And the only way to get over something a lot of times is facing it and moving forward and just, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So yeah, it was eerie, but okay. I can't. You just have to move on. That's, that's just life. The show got a, a 4.16 rating, a 7.2 share on UPN. By comparison, Raw that week also got a 4.16 rating. We've talked about the SmackDown set. We've got the oval shapes and an oval shaped Titan Tron. We've got blue ropes. They rocked that for a couple of years. And the uh, theme song was Everybody on the Ground by Jim Johnston. A show theme like this, is this something that Jim has creative license on? How involved is Vince in that? Does UPN give a rip? Chat me up about a show theme like this. Oh my God, Vince, Vince and Kevin Dunn were heavily involved in it and just giving him input as far as what they wanted, the pacing of it. And also a lot of it is the video and the feel overall. So a lot of that is hundred percent, man. That's, that's coming down to Vince and Kevin Dunn with their input on the music. Jim goes back and composes it and makes it work. Uh, he's going to make it work at Starcast too. I feel like we should mention Jim Johnson doesn't make appearances. Um, it's not his deal. And we're lucky enough to have him on hand at Starcast. So if you haven't already, 
pick it up on fight fight.tv forward slash starcast is the way to go uh the show starts with kurt angle in a squash match it's a dark match uh he makes his wrestling debut a few months later at the survivor series pay-per-view but it's kind of fun little footnote that he was the dark match on the first smackdown huh that's uh, yeah. It's during a time that we were just kind of getting Kurt out there and getting him under the big, you know, with the big audiences. I believe that he actually worked with Tom under a hood on this night. That's fine. Dr. X. So we see a uh, shotgun being taped, which is of course going to be renamed Jack tier uh, on those. We would see edge beat Jeff Hardy. Those guys are going to go on and do. Okay. D'Lo Brown's going to beat Bob Holly. Val Venus is going to beat Mark Henry and Gangrel beats Chaz. And now we're to SmackDown. Uh, Ross and Lawler did the first week on SmackDown after they originally announced that Cole and Kelly would be doing the show. Why the change? Familiarity. Vince wanted, Vince wanted that familiarity of, of Jr. and Lawler on there. Some people go on, they, they heard Jr. They saw King and they know that that's WWF at that point. I feel like I should mention, uh, I just saw Jr. and Lawler in Nashville last week. They did a show at Zany's and we've got, a, of course, a show coming up at Zany's. Our show sold out. I'm pretty sure theirs was too. And it was just announced last night that Jim Ross is coming to Starcast. I feel like I'm plugging a lot of stuff here, but we just keep running across names that make me think of that. And this will be the first time that you, I think, have been in the same room with Jr. since all of our her shit blew up. Has it not? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I've seen Jr. Saw WrestleMania. Well, Sassafras. Looking forward to seeing good old Jr. Oh. at Starcast. Uh, it's mentioned uh, here. I guess it's worth mentioning rather that just a few days prior, Triple H broke good old Jr.'s arm, uh, and here he is just one night later doing the show. Of course, it airs a few days later. We open the show with a recap of the end of SummerSlam and then the next night on Raw where we see Triple H breaking JR's arm. And then we see Shane demanding that Foley defend the title that night. Shane gives him a chair. He hits Rock and pins Mankind with a pedigree. So now we've got Triple H in China doing an interview here and Triple H sporting the Big Eagle. And that belt, of course, is going to be at StarCast. I'm getting my shit in, kid. Uh, Rock ends up coming out. And before long, everybody's out. Shane, Sean, the posse, Mankind, everybody's out. And we're setting up Shane versus Mankind and Triple H versus The Rock for the world title. We're just a few days into Triple H's first world title reign. I'm sure we'll talk about him many, many times. Why was now the right time to make him the guy? Well, that was an argument that went back and forth. And there were a lot of us that didn't think it was the right time to make him the guy. There was, um, there was a feeling that he wasn't ready for it. Um, Vince Russo and Vince McMahon obviously felt that he was, but I think more than anything, because you couldn't call it and nobody was calling that triple H is going to be the champion at the time. Um, so it was uh, people still, here's the thing. As long as Sean was involved in any way, triple H was overshadowed with Sean's presence and Sean being out there and people wanting, wanting Sean. And there was always that comparison. If 
you were going to go with with Triple H by himself, then let's go with him. But the more every time that Sean got in the picture, it was comparisons to Sean, and and it just made you look at Hunter less than. So there there were people that that didn't think that uh, me included that didn't think that it was the right time to put the title on Triple H at the time. Didn't feel that felt he was he was great in the picture. But man, the champion and the uh, promos, uh, I uh, am uh, the game, uh, and uh, I uh, proved uh, to the world. Uh, and it was like, fuck. How long is this fucking promo gonna go? And there was just that. That was that was the rap. But it was, you know, they went with it, and the rest is history, as they say. Oh man, I can't believe let's mark the date and time. You just said something critical of triple H. I never thought this day would come. I feel like this might be our last episode. You should should listen to why this be our last episode. You should go back and listen to the archives. Oh yeah. Over at something to wrestle.com. Now this segment is, uh, an opening segment that goes like over 15 minutes. Is this when it really starts to become a thing for the opening segment to go long because they've got to fill time? Do you think? No, it wasn't about filling time. It was, it was about people like talk. Russo liked to like to hear his words sometimes come out. So it, it was a formula. It became very formulaic and they still do it to this day. I guess some respects it works when you can go out and cut your promos and set up your the evening it makes it more spontaneous. You've got to tune in to see what's going to happen. If you can set your night up in that first hour well enough, then people are going to grow. The audience will grow throughout the the rest of the show. But, uh, you know, rock interrupt, man. Rock was on fire at this time. And then Shawn Michaels coming out and rocking his brother love suit, which was gimmick infringement. Um, you got all the stars out there, man, in that, in that first 15 minutes. So your first quarter, you, you knew what was going to happen for the next two hours. Next up, Blue Meanie holds up a photo of Sable from TV Guide as part of the Blair Bitch Project. And it winds up being edited from the show. And the lawsuit involving her was settled not long before this. Was it a stipulation that you guys couldn't run her down on TV? Why did you do this? Why did it not air? Um, as far as why it didn't air because it sucked, it was eh, just one of the, in my opinion. Okay. I'm sure some people would disagree. I thought it was some of the stupidest, silliest, nonsensical, non-directional shit that they ever did. There was no payoff to it. Nobody knew a payoff and, and it was just. I couldn't tell you why they were doing it or what the, what the end result was ever supposed to be. And I guarantee you, there's probably no one alive that can tell you. Um, next up, we see Billy Gunn beat Jeff Jarrett. When China knocks out Deborah, Jeff is the intercontinental champ here. And this is a non-title match. Uh, Jarrett wound up winning both the intercontinental and the European title at SummerSlam from D but then he forfeits the European title on raw to Mark Henry. And it's the first match in SmackDown history, which I guess is a little fun fact that both um, Billy Gunn and Jeff Jarrett can claim. Next up, we see. Well, how- you know, hang on. Uh, you know what I always liked about Jeff Jarrett? What's that? 
he wore the championship. No matter what it was, Jeff was a champion. He wore the championship belt and made it, you know, he, he presented himself as a champion. Didn't throw it over his shoulder, didn't drag it. He, he wore the damn thing and made it special. And that, you know, watching it because it had become not the norm. And, and I actually Hunter did it in the first segment as well. But then after a while, takes it off, throws it over his shoulder. Jeff wore it and wore it with pride. And I thought that was just one of those. It, it's an old, that old pro type thing that you notice. And you always tell guys, it, it, the championship, make it special. Uh, in the back, we see Howard Finkel polishing Chris Jericho's boots. Uh, and then we see a three-way with Undertaker and show keeping the belts over the acolytes, X-Pac and Kane. What a murderer's row this is, man. Um, Undertaker actually does some commentary. So it winds up being show and a handicap match against two teams. And he pins X-Pac to win. Uh, Taker and show pretty badass team at the time. And. You know, Taker saying that Big Show has to sort of earn his stripes here. How did these guys get put together? Well, that's a shoot because Big Show had come on, come in under a lot of hoopla, and I don't know that he necessarily delivered on that hoopla. So it was take the you know the best big man in the business, Undertaker, and stick him with Undertaker. Hopefully, he's going to learn from that. And the association that was a, a shoot relationship where. Uh, Undertaker took it seriously as far as trying to help Big Show and Big Show respected Undertaker, wanted to learn. And I think it, to me, it was the best Big Show ever looked. Um, probably looks better today. Some bitch has abs and looks tremendous today. But at that time, I think it was the best Big Show uh, had ever looked and was really coming into his own. Next up, we've got Bossman offering to give back Peppa for a title shot. I also know agrees and boss man beats him to get the belt back. This is when Al snow is desperate to get his dog pepper back. This is uh, an interesting time in the WWF. What'd you think of this? Poor little pepper. Cause pepper wasn't a worker. You know, <laughs> that's what was great is they bring this fucking dog out. And it's literally the size of your hand. But it's got a muzzle on it, which is just hysterical to me because it's a little master bit. I know not a work. Yeah. Well, okay. And I I say pepper wasn't a working dog, but he was, he actually was a working dog. Um, he was an actor. Uh, he had, he had done some other spots and everything. He had some, some spots on other shows. What was in his rider? Oh, he had to have, uh, the duck flavored, uh, milk bone gimmicks, right? Yeah, he was a he was a prima donna, man. Fucker. Fucking yeah, mineral water and shit. I bet he wanted more than scale too, didn't he? Oh yeah, you know it. But um, that frog eyed bastard. He, he I guess it was good, but I felt so bad because like when Boss Man would grab him and shit, his little tail would go between his legs and he would be petrified and start shaking. But again, we were assured that oh no, he's done all of this, he knows exactly how to act and all he, this other he crap. knows how to act. Do you fucking hear yeah. yourself? Dude, that's what the, you, you ever deal. You've never, you have obviously never dealt with an animal trainer on the set of a television show. No, but I, I do know Bro, that, you gotta have, you gotta have your ass covered nine ways from Sunday. 
And we were assured that this was a working dog and he knew how to act and he had done all these things and he was treated perfectly. And, um, you know, and big boss, man, race just was such a kind hearted, sweet guy. And he felt so bad that like when he would get behind the curtain, he would be like, <laughs> like just cuddling this dog and, do, 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 and, and playing with the dog because he felt bad that, the dog would be scared when he would grab him and shit like that. It was, everybody loved that dog, the little fucker. His pepper was good little guy. My goodness. Listen to you. What? <laughs> Nothing. What was he was for a frog eyed dog, frog eyed dog. You know, there's, I mean, I guess that's worth fighting about. I mean, maybe even a duel and, uh, thankfully the wait is nearly over football season's almost here. Which means fantasy football season and fan duel has never been more fun or easy to play. You don't have to be a fantasy expert. And if you're not, fan duel is clearly the best place for you to play. They've got something for everyone, and there's more ways to win than ever before. Don't believe us? Man, how's this sound? This season, fan duel is running a free, you hear me? Free $250,000 survivor contest. This is the biggest free survivor contest ever. Here's how it works. You pick one team to win each week, and then you can't reuse that team again for the rest of the season. Now this locks before week one. So don't miss your chance. Sign up right now. Uh, I don't know about you, Bruce, but my dad thinks this is the year for the Cowboys. I say, nay, nay. Uh, who would you pick? If you had to pick somebody to go all the way to the end, of course you can't use them every week. Who you got there this year? Man, as much as I hate to say it, and I got a little inside info, I hate it. Oh, I hate to say it, but the Patriots. Well, I don't know if that's... I know that's your favorite team, but I I think it's going to be the Patriots. Even though I chose Drew Brees as my quarterback on my team, and, you know, I'm a beginner, man, okay? So the nice thing about FanDuel is if you're a beginner, you're an expert, Man, it walks you through it. There's so many different ways to play. I've played 50-50 because that way I got 50-50 chance Listen to you. Listen, you don't have to know shit, just like Bruce doesn't, and you can still win $215,000. I said 15. It's even more than that. It's $250,000. <laughs> I'm going to pocket the other 35. This is the Survivor Contest, and you can get in right now, but lock it in before week one, man. Do it right now at fanduel.com forward slash Pritchard. Now, don't you dare put a T in his name. It's P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D. That's fanduel.com forward slash Pritchard. And new users are going to get a $20 bonus when they make their first deposit on FanDuel. Bruce, that can't be right. They're just giving them $20? Absolutely. You make your first deposit, and then boom, here's 20 bucks. So it's like you're playing for nothing, man. And uh, come on, play with us over at fanduel.com slash Pritchard, P-R-I-C-H-A-R-D. After the match, we see Jericho talking to Howard about how he had his job stolen by Tony Chimmel and that Howard is a warrior and he should go get it back. So we cut to the arena and we see Tony Chimmel introducing a match, but he's interrupted by the music of the ultimate warrior. Finkel runs down, hits the ropes, pounds his chest, and he yells at Tony, shoves Tony down, and then gets beaten up by Tony. And Jericho comes out and gets Finkel, and they leave. Chat me up here. Wild Warriors music, 
why the fuck was this in here? Well, because Finkel was a warrior and it was warrior music by God. It's the only logical music for a, a true Finkel warrior to come out to. I was watching this and just <laughs> going back, seeing how blown up Howard was. However, man, give credit to the Fink for running down that damn ramp and getting in the ring. Cause I would have made it to the bottom of the ramp and probably collapsed. At least now I'm not, I'm not even sure I can make it down. I, I know I couldn't run down, but, uh, the Fink was in his element, got out there and played this thing to perfection being Jericho's foil. He was perfect because he's that innocent guy that just wants to be a part and people love the Fink and he was a lovable character that you could just say damn it jericho taking advantage of him and using him as a scapegoat was just some entertaining shit you gotta admit that was some entertaining shit no it was entertaining yes it was no doubt next up is supposed to be val venus and ken shamrock but it never happens because val is never seen ken passes jericho and fink on the way and jericho sends fink after him he distracts ken long enough for jericho to nail him with a chair And Ken's on his way out of the company. Not too long after this, why did it not work out for Ken and the company here? Ken was looking to get back into the shoot fight game and felt that he still, while he was young enough and still in the right kind of shape, he felt he wanted to get back into MMA and have another run. So he was ready to get back to that world. Tess proposed to Stephanie next up and she accepts and then Shane and the posse attack test. And this is the biggest push that test has gotten up to this point. Was the original plan always in place here or what, where did you guys know where you were heading with this engagement at this point? Well, I think Russo did. Yeah. To do the, to do the whole DX thing and, and do, do the swerve bro, because you knew nobody ever actually gets married on, <laughs> on television, unless you're macho man and Liz. And then we all know how that ended, but, uh, it was, you know, it was a hell of a storyline. People were actually into this shit and striking. When you go back and watch is how young Stephanie and Shane look. Yeah. Good. God, I mean, she was fresh out of college at this point and Shane was just like a pup. So it was, it was, it was at a time that man, people were, were buying into the story. It gave Tess something to, to get into and people, oh, the two young lovebirds, they're in love. Shane would then pin mankind when triple H interferes. And then afterwards we see Cole following Tori down the hall and she's topless. And then for no apparent reason, she takes her pants off and walks down the hall in just a thong without saying anything. It's a good thing. This show is taped because they don't want anything gratuitous here on UPN, right? Yeah. what was gratuitous about that? Nothing. I mean, she was getting prepared for her evening gown match. Hypothetically, what are the odds you think we turn on raw this coming week and we see a topless woman in a thong? I don't think they're allowed to show their butts anymore. Next up, Cole interviewed Austin and Austin says he'll be back from the knee injury that triple H caused at SummerSlam in about a month or so. And 
when he's asked about how triple H has become a lot more aggressive lately, Austin says he stole it from him. Um, what'd you think of this Austin promo? You got him on here on the show, but it's not exactly maybe what you would have liked to have had happen on your first SmackDown, right? Well, the idea behind it was getting Steve on the show and we couldn't, if you put Steve in the ring, people are going to expect action and they're going to expect some physicality. We couldn't give them the physicality here because of Steve's knee. So I don't think it was the best way to expose Steve on the show, but it it got him on and we were able to put enough footage around it so that people got their stone cold fix. Um, at the same time, it also allowed other guys to, to get more exposure. So good things happen when, you know, one door closes, another one opens. Next up, Tori and Ivory go about a minute in an evening gown match. Chat me up here. What'd you think? Thought it was about 45 seconds too long. No, actually <laughs> going back and watching because both, uh, Terry and Ivory could work. Yeah. At least it was solid. That's what's um, amazing to me is you've got two women who can actually wrestle, but it's like, nope. Yeah. Put them in the evening, you know, one in a, in a shirt and take the other one's dress off in about two minutes. And these were two girls that could actually have a convincing good match. Uh, let me ask. We've never talked about this before. I mean, I guess we have, but you said it just freestyling one day and I know it's not reality. Real life. What word does Vince McMahon use to describe uh, a, a female's breasts? Puppies. Okay. Uh, I, I was In thinking, real life? I was thinking you were going to say that, which to me, it's like, uh, okay, now girls, let's make sure the puppies don't come out. The, the idea that that has to be a conversation and Vince McMahon says it is such an awkward, I don't know. It's interesting to me because you don't think about him in that way. I don't. Well, he tries to be politically correct. Well, that was the other question is, is he, is he going to be scientific? You know, like now ladies, we want to make sure there's no areola exposed this evening. (laughs) Yeah. No, that never comes up. (laughs) Most of the time it's not Vince having those conversations. No, I know. I I just want to say ladies, uh, tonight there should be no nippleage. Uh, you know, the, that brown part around your titty, uh, we can't see that on TV. Okay. And especially that part that gets really hard, like an eraser, keep those under wraps. Oh my gosh. What next? Up? I, don't think, I don't, I don't think he gets to have those conversations either. Now they probably have a female that thank God, <laughs> you know, um, there was a day when that used to have to be like me and Jr. and have those damn conversations, but uh, ho- thankfully now, when Stephanie came on board, man, that was that was nice to tag out to her. Hey, Steph, could you talk to the ladies? <laughs> um, yeah. We also see that uh, Blue Meanie found Stevie Richards dressed up like Sable, and then it's time to go ahead and have our main event. We've got triple H beating the rock when Shawn Michaels turns heel on rock by hitting him with sweet chin music. And then triple H hits the pedigree for the pin. And this seemingly looks like a restart for DX, but nothing really came of it. Is this the, the situation? Is this the episode? Is this the SmackDown where there was a bit of a, a situation backstage with the rock and Shawn Michaels? 
No, the, you know, this was an example of let's do something to get out of it. How about this? And we'll do a swerve. What do we do next? I don't know. Um, works for tonight. Let's get through tonight. We'll figure out next week, tomorrow. And I think that's what, what this was. Uh, let's have this big, you know, you got to have a big, big show. This was a pay-per-view. This, this, this show was a pay-per-view quality show. All big matches uh, leading up to a big crescendo. You get a, a big finish and a big swerve and a big turn, but there wasn't any, there wasn't really that much thought into, okay, what do we do next? It was, uh, it's been talked about, I believe even by, um, rock's dad, Rocky Johnson. He said in a shoot interview, quote, Sean threw the sweet chin music and I guess he kicked him a little too hard. So Dwayne went back in the dressing room and said, Hey man, you hit me a little too hard. Calm down. But then Sean got smart with him and said something like, if you can't take it, then you shouldn't be in this business. The next thing you know, he's on the floor and Dwayne is on top of him. So that happened with the finish here. That didn't happen. That's, that's all. That's a story. And I believe that's just a story. They probably had words and, and got blown out of proportion and legend has grown from there. Why was Sean not back here? A lot of the rumor and innuendo is that in around this time, it may have even been this episode, uh, triple H sort of buries him thinking that maybe he still got some substance issues. What, what well, this feels like it could have been a storyline, but it wasn't. So that's the reason a lot of people sort of circle this show was maybe when that could have been the case. Well, it was also the case of you didn't have Sean didn't want to work full time. Wasn't going to work full time. So what the hell do you do with him? And he was commissioner. And then it's like, okay, you, you do this, then what? And there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of thought out plan that could actually come to fruition because he, he couldn't work. He wasn't going to work at that time. And you're, you're stuck now. You got a guy. In addition to that, the overwhelming feeling, like I said in the very beginning about Triple H, in order for Triple H ever to get over on his own, he needs to be away from Sean. For as long as Sean's there in any way, shape, or form, there's going to be the comparison. There's always going to be that feeling that um, Sean's the leader of the group. Sean's the head of it. And the spotlight goes over to him and, or that spotlight widens and less of a spotlight on triple H. If there was ever a time for him to get over, you had to get him away from Sean. That probably led more into the decision-making than anything coupled with, you're not going to get a match out of it. So what do you do? Don't book him. Let's get to some questions and let's do this rapid fire. I want to remind you that coming up next week, we've got SummerSlam 1988. We're kicking an old school going back 30 years. I'm looking forward to this. Tune in next week and uh, don't forget to check us out on Fight because that is actually going to start, StarCast that is, before the next episode drops. You can see Bruce and Eric do a debate. I'll be moderating all about the Monday Night Wars this coming Thursday. Pre-order right now. And don't forget, we've got a hell of a contest going on right now. For as long as you pre-order by Monday, August 27th, you're automatically entered for the ultimate prize pack. You're going to get front row tickets to all in a platinum band, to Starcast, 
airfare to get there, a hotel stay, eat and greets every single day, every official meet and greet. This is the ultimate wrestling experience. Go pre-order right now. Fight.tv forward slash Starcast. Bruce, let's rapid fire some questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Anthony wants to know why take up a third of each arena with the Titan Tron and ramp setup. Back in the day, you had one small entrance with a logo maximizing the available seats. Now in the attitude era, you have all those numbers again, and wrestling's more popular than ever. Why sacrifice all the tickets you could have sold? Presentation television meant much more than the live event. Toby wants to know. Did the rock get any kickback for using his gimmick to name the show? <laughs> no, he did not. Uh, Vess wants to know, I know rock and Sean didn't get along, but did rock have a problem with Sean super kicking him and wearing booty shorts? Good God. Those shorts were brutal. Uh, but no rock didn't have a problem with it. Joseph wants to know when she, when SmackDown was created and picked up as an official show. What was the wrestlers reaction when they realized they had an extra day of TV? Their reaction is great. It's an extra day of pay. Drew wants to know, were there any plans for Jim Cornette to be a permanent announcement, uh, announcer, uh, for motherfucker Smackdown, for SmackDown itself. Um, yeah. a lot of people were talked about, but I think that corny, the feeling was he's too Southern motherfucker. That's always wanted to cut you off. That was fun. But you know, Solden kept going. Motherfucker. Like a pro. Fuck you. Uh, Cameron wants to know, was the color scheme of the show blue to rival thunder? <laughs> Good God. No. Yeah. Just the, you know, world's favorite color, bro. Uh, Corey wants to know, was Vince McMahon as hands-on with SmackDown as he was with raw? Vince McMahon is hands-on everything. Michael wants to know who was pushing behind the scenes for Michael Cole. Was Vince or Kevin Dunn a big fan? You know, Michael Cole was different and Michael Cole had a news background. It wasn't, it was different. I think that there was, you wanted to have different teams on each of the shows and it wasn't, oh, we like Michael more than Jr. It was just different. Kevin wants to know, how did UPN of all networks get a property like this? Did Viacom just not give a shit anymore? The hell does that mean? I don't know. Russ wants to know. Stupid fucking question, Kevin. Are you shitting on a listener right now? I'm shitting on that stupid fucking question. Kevin, I think uh, there's no stupid question. Stupid so, fucking question. I also want to mention that hidefromrent.com can get you out of your stupid fucking apartment into a brand new house. Uh, Russ Casto wants to know, was there any talk of Monday Night Raw eventually moving over to UPN after SmackDown debuted? We got lots of questions about when people started to change maybe the way the perception of SmackDown was. Because obviously it's heavily emphasized here in August. But eventually some of that's going to dwindle. And a lot of people would refer to it as the B show. When did you notice the switch? Wow. I, you know, I really, because again, as long as it was on that broadcast, man, that was, that was a big deal to Vince. And as long as he had the ability to get those eyeballs, it was considered equal to, if not more important than raw, probably when the brand split came along that I think people felt because, you know, Austin stayed on raw that, ah, the other one's the B show. Stuart wants to know were any of the main street posse considered as long-term singles prospects in the beginning. No, but we, we tried them out. We sent them down to Memphis to developmental territory to see if there was anything there. 
Last but certainly not least, Tyler Tempest wants to know what was your favorite moment on SmackDown ever and why? Uh, getting tombstone by the undertaker because it was the first time being able to work with him in an adversarial role. And that was a big moment for me. Well, it's a big moment for us, man. If you haven't already go order fight, they've got uh, Starcast. We're going to have a lot of fun next week. Don't miss out the Monday night war debate, the roast to Bruce Pritchard. All the fun is happening at fight.tv forward slash Starcast. And next week, coming your way, man. I'm looking forward to this. SummerSlam 1988. Bruce, give him an idea. What are we going to be talking about next week? Well, it's all about Brother Love, who the guest was supposed to be. And, of course, the Mega Powers and Mega Bucks. And just the very first time that I learned about SummerSlam and this whole different pay-per-view concept that we were going to do, the original, man, and nothing else beats it. Don't miss it. SummerSlam 88 next week right here on Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. And you know, Bruce, it's worth mentioning. You could have gotten this show and other shows early and ad-free if you just supported us on Patreon.com forward slash Something to Wrestle. Patron and see how I prepare. I ain't mad at it. See ya. Later. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.